Well, hey, First Church, thank you so much for being here online, Hebron, and of course, right here at this location in the jail. Um, man, I'm excited about church. To the men of this church, happy Father's Day. You might not have kids, but we're all a role model for someone. And I know for a lot of us, holidays like this are really difficult because it reminds us of something we didn't have or never got, or it reminds us of somebody who's gone in our life. And uh, I just want to remember you today as well and acknowledge that this can be a pain full day for some of you, but um, what I want to say to the men of our church is God made you and called you to do great things, and I have a really important message today. This is one of those controversial messages that has lots of statistics and data in it that I've been cooking up for over a year, but I had an event in my life recently, um, several weeks ago, that made me say, hey, I got to do this. It's a classic John Hill message, and so if you are going to... um, well, I think you're going to love it, but if you start getting offended in the middle of it, um, please stick with me till the end, and then I'd love to dialogue with you about it, but if you're going to write me an email or whatever, um, just please make sure that it's rooted in facts, not opinion, right? And uh, it can be rooted in scripture, it can be rooted in some of the data that we're analyzing together, but uh, you know, not just, a, hey, you know, I hate you or whatever. But uh, I want to start today looking at the males, the men, the people with the Y chromosome in this room, and I want to say to you, you're the man. You are the man, and this is not an encouragement. That's not just like a fist bump responsibility or fist bump thing. This is a responsibility. It means something specific. God made you strong and courageous to do great things. And you know, the Bible was the first book to say that men and women are equal in value. And that's pretty cool. The Bible is the reason why women specifically in this world today have a voice and aren't considered property, cattle, and something that can be traded, bought, and sold. That is the teachings of Jesus. That is our legacy and heritage as Christians. And that's a pretty remarkable thing. And you could say that's not true, but then like you'd be arguing against historical fact. So definitely cool to be a Christian and have that as our legacy. But um, the Bible says men and women are equal in value, but different in nature. And when I say you're the man, I'm not saying you're a human. I'm saying you're the man. And that means something unique and special. There's an identity that God gave to you that is different than what God gave to women. And it's equally valuable, but it's different in nature. And uh, the Bible talks extensively about what it means to be a man. And what I love is the Bible is a book full of imperfect people serving God's perfect purposes. That's why we say church is a place where no one's perfect and everyone's welcome. That's why we say church is a place that's not about what we're against because we've all made mistakes. It's about who we're for. It's a place of second chances and grace. And I love that God uses ordinary flawed people to do great things. And a perfect example of this is one of the greatest biblical men in recorded history. It's Abraham. And uh, Abraham, two-thirds of the world's population are either his direct descendants or spiritual descendants. Jews, Muslims, and Christians all draw their heritage from this one man. And that's pretty cool because 3,500 years before it happened, the Bible predicted it. And that's amazing. Not 3,500 years before it happened. 1,500 years before it happened. 3,500 years before today, God said that this would happen. And we actually have recordings of the Bible that specifically tell us this before it happened. But what God told Abraham in Genesis chapter 18, verses 18 and 19, and several other places as well, it says, for Abraham will certainly become a great mighty nation and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. And I remember as a kid wondering why, why did God choose Abraham? What made him want Abraham of all the people to do this? Was it because he was smart? Was it because he had a heart that loved God? I mean, what character trait did God see in Abraham and say, that's what I want. That's the trait. I mean, I'm going to use him and his family to change the world of all the families, of all the peoples of the earth. He's the person that I really want. Why did God choose him? And I'm sure you're speculating on it right now. I'm sure you're like, well, why was it? You know, was it because he had money? Was it, what, what was it? And it's not what you think it was. 
okay? God actually tells us exactly why. In the very next verse, he says, I have singled him out so that he will direct his sons and their families to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. Of all the traits, of all the things that God could have chosen someone for, he said, the one that really matters the most. The thing that I'm really looking for in a person is um, that he would be a good father. God chose Abraham because of the father traits that he saw in him, that he would direct his descendants to love the Lord and follow him. And I have to admit, I find this really shocking. You know what's interesting to me is I started thinking, John, why are you shocked by this? Like you read the Bible all the time, you read this, and this particularly, I remember when I first found it, I thought, that is so surprising, that is so weird. Why is it shocking that God would use and value fathers? And I think it's because I grew up in a secular society that said fathers, men, and white men in particular, are privileged and kind of evil. I think the societal narrative is that men have been holding women back, and now their time's up. It's time for an end to chauvinism because women are still being held down and there's gender wage gaps and men are really making this good old boys club that kind of, you know, holds the whole world back and, you know, it's great evil. And what I've begun to realize is that's not what the data tells us. And ultimately, I became a Christian because he's the God of facts, right? I remember looking at the religion of atheism, talking with my uncle, and I realized, man, there's just a lot of superstition in this whole religion. I can't believe all that. That's why I don't follow the religion of woke politics because it's not rooted in facts, the data tells us that men specifically are not privileged. And I want to be clear, I have a deep respect for women, and I'm so thankful for the advancement and inclusion of women in our society, which specifically happened because of Jesus and his church. Like, that's a big deal. I mean, it's really cool to embrace. Even in the modern era, um, women's rights mostly happen because of Christians. But I want to talk to our boys for a moment, because our society says that men and boys have too much privilege. And science and the facts and the data and all the research that we have literally says the opposite. Now, I spent a long time amalgamating a different set of facts for this message as, as best I could, but if you would like to go to some of the original sources, some of the best that I can give to you um, is a book called The Boy Crisis, written by Warren Farrell, and he was actually a scion of second wave feminism. This guy's a feminist. He's definitely not a Christian. There's a lot of stuff in here that I don't agree with, but the facts in here are really, really good. And then there's a documentary called The Red Pill by Cassie J. And um, it's a feminist journey into the men's rights movement. Really, really interesting. But um, I just want to spend some time talking about some statistics for you. First off, 92% uh, of people who die in the workplace are men. And that's a staggering statistic. We say men and women are equal, but like this is a big inequality. I mean, that's pretty stunning, 92%. And that is because men have a tendency to take more dangerous and worse, worse jobs, which, cons which consequently pay quite a bit more. In fact, this accounts for the vast majority of the gender pay wage gap. Because let's be honest, who wants to work in a bat-infested, dung-filled, sewage-covered crawl space It's 125 degrees to fix a blown sewer line while the family sits upstairs and taps waiting for them to get done? That job should pay more. The stats are bigger than that though. The United States has 5% of the world's population and 25% of the world's prisoners and consequently 87% of those prisoners are male. Why? What about our society does this? 79% of murder victims are male. A lot of women are like, well, I mean, if you were married to my husband, you might actually understand that statistic. And I'm like, that is, that is funny. But for real, we gotta think about that. The statistics are similar for drug use and mental illness. Single women buy homes at a rate of 2.5 times greater than single men. Why? Why is it that single women are so able to, in this modern era, accrue wealth in real estate, but single men have such difficulty? And I want to talk about mass shootings at schools. A lot of people argue that it's a gun problem, but um, I'm not here to argue about that. I actually think it's a boy problem. 98% of school mass shootings are perpetrated by boys. Why? 
What are we doing to our boys in this country that would cause such a psychological breakdown? It's such a crazy skewed rate. If it was a gun problem, it would be 50-50, but it's not. Let's talk about suicide for just a minute. In the Western world, men commit suicide at a rate of 4.4 times greater than that of, of women. And that is remarkable because the global average of suicide is 1.1 men for every one woman. And uh, if you remove uh, the Western society from that, it's about one to one, which is really interesting. For some reason in Western nations, men kill themselves more than 400% more often than women. Why? Why? Did you know that the suicide crisis is a bigger health crisis in America than the height of the AIDS epidemic? But we don't talk about it. Bono's not touring around saying, buy my red phone so that, you know, guys will stop. I mean, we don't even care because it's just boys. And our society specifically disdains white boys. More men have died by suicide in the United Kingdom in 2018 than all men fighting in all wars for the United Kingdom since 1945. That's stunning, but we don't care. Global life expectancy in Western nations is 17% shorter for boys, mostly because of suicide. Suicide takes more life, um, male suicide takes more life than war, murder, and natural disasters combined. If you're like, oh man, what do I want to do that's good for the world? Could I eliminate war, murder, natural disasters? No, the best thing you could do is eliminate male suicide in the West. If you could fix male suicide, which eliminates 36 million years of potential life in the West each year, you would do more good for the world than curing cancer. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't fight to cure cancer. It's a big deal. You know, we have golf fundraisers and all this stuff. But if we wanted to also do good things, I mean, we should talk about this issue that we have. Boys in education is a big deal. There's actually a bevy of recent studies that have come out looking at sexism in education. And uh, the interesting facts are, I mean, at the very tip of the iceberg, 61% of college degree earners are women. That's something to talk about. Um, but what we do know is that specifically in American elementary and middle schools, boys are greatest le graded less favorably on tests by teachers. And uh, when name and gender is concealed on these tests, boys actually score the same as girls. What does this do to our boys at an early age when that is their experience? Perhaps this is why girls make up 70% of valedictorians. Since 1980, boys' IQs have dropped an average of 15 points, while girls' tested IQs have remained the same during that same time period. That is something that is worth thinking about. And it doesn't matter, and I don't care where you're at on a political spectrum or anywhere else, I think that we have a boy problem in America. Let's talk about divorce. In all 50 states, there are laws that value men or women for custody more than men. They discriminate against men. Though when surveyed, most men have the same desire to have custody of their children as moms. What we know is, and, and this is what the data tells us, is that um, in single-parent homes, children raised by a single father typically fare much better than children raised by a single mother, and specifically boys. Boys do very, very poorly um, in life in general if they come out of a home with just a single mother. And I want you to know, I know that there's a lot of you, you might be a single mom here, and I want you to know you are at the best place. For single moms, raising sons, being in a church specifically is one of the greatest things you can do. There is a heavenly father who loves you, and we want to partner with you in that. But why is it that in all 50 states, we have laws that put boys in less healthy situations after a divorce that specifically discriminate against what science tells us a healthy situation is? I think we hear these statistics and we're shocked and it's because most dads, you know, they don't know their son's birthday or social security number or the na name of their, you know, daughter's teacher. I mean, I actually don't know most of those things. But um, you know what dads do know is they know their kid's best tickle spots. 
They know their favorite superhero. And specifically, what dads sociologically are really good at doing is teaching their kids to admit that they're wrong, to recover from failure, and to be gritty in the face of difficult tasks. That is sociologically a task that fathers give to their kids, and it's so important. Children raised in homes without a father typically have a more difficult time learning that specific trait. If you grew up fatherless, I just want you to know I care about you and I love you, and we understand the pain that comes from that. I want to talk about domestic violence for a second. Um, there are 3,000 battered women's shelters in the United States, and praise God for that. My grandparents started one, one of the first ones in the state of Minnesota. That's definitely something that I'm passionate about and I care about seeing stop. There is one battered men's shelter. And what's interesting in my ministry is three times, three times total, um, I've had conversations with a woman who has been beaten at home and I can visibly see the bruises and it's heartbreaking every time. In my ministry, literally several dozen times, I've had brokenhearted boys and men in my office who've been, I can visibly see the bruises because they've been beaten and there's no place for them to go because we have a society that doesn't care about boys and men who are being beaten at home. I wanna talk about police shootings just for a second. Um, I don't believe that uh, police shootings are, are, are like, we need to look at them and say, oh man, that was such an evil act. I think a lot of times our men and women in blue have done heroic things to protect our society from terrible things. And uh, they're doing what's needed at great risk to their careers, their personal safety and their mental health to protect our communities. That being said, police are 24 times more likely to shoot a man than a woman. And uh, there's been a lot of outrage about police shootings this last year, but when you look at the total number of violent crimes and violent murders that have been committed um, per year, the greatest, most statistically significant and disproportionate statistic is the amount of men killed. And I don't think this is a policing issue. I want to be clear. I think this is a society telling men they are worthless issue. And here's what all this means, is we live in a society that tells our men and boys that their lives are worthless, that they don't matter, that they should do dangerous lives because if they get killed, that's all they're good for anyway is making money. We have an education system that is categorically and very clearly statistically discriminatory and sexist against men, as a matter of fact. We have a court system that tells men they're not needed, that fathers are not important, and that is so anti-science, anti-data, and anti-facts. In the media and at home, we laugh at fathers calling them deadbeats, losers, philanderers, cheaters, crooks, and criminals. We tell them that they're worthless, and to the surprise of no one, they live like their lives are worthless. We have a mental health crisis of all ages, but the most acute area of mental health that we're dealing with in America today is young men. When I counsel men, and specifically even this last week, I had a couple of conversations with young men who sit with me and are so dejected because they can't see their kids, right? And they'll tell me, hey, look, you know, the court, it's always the same story. The court ordered that, you know, we should share custody, but my baby's mother says that I can't see them and I can't afford another lawyer and I can't continue this fight and I just wanna see them and that's society. I've watched women berate, denigrate, and belittle their man in front of me and not think twice about it because society says it's not verbal abuse if you're directing it at a man. Men, don't buy into the lie. If you're hearing my voice, I want you to know that you have a heavenly father in heaven who loves you. And, and by the grace of Jesus, when you become a Christian, he approves of you completely and he cares about you. And I want you to walk into the great role that God has given to you. I want you to hear this. You are the man. And you don't need to choose to be a victim. I'm so grateful. I had a dad who told me when people discriminated against me, he said, you will not be defined by these moments of victimization. You'll be defined by the great victories that you achieve with your life. Your identity is not what people hurt you. Your identity is in Jesus Christ. You're the man. Society says that our country is sexist against women and that is statistically propaganda. That's a lie. We have a society that is a matter of statistical fact is sexist against men. And it's easy to ignore all the facts and stand with society and say men are terrible, men are awful. Because standing up for the group that society has decided to demonize is um, always difficult. 
Condemning them is all too easy to just tweet like, hey, time's up or whatever, and have everybody applaud you while your son holds his head dejected like, that's easy. I was afraid of writing this message because of the nasty things a woke bully might say, but my son, I looked at his eyes as I prepared this message, and I said, he matters. So I want to talk about what God says about boys, because I think this is pretty cool. Exodus 20, verse 12, it says, honor your father and your mother. Then you will live a long, full life in the land your God has given you. And the thing that I want you to see here is that God says it can be both. We live in a society that's so worried about equity. It says, well, if this group is privileged, we need to take from them to give to somebody else. And God says, that's hogwash. That's ridiculous. God says, I've given you exceedingly abundantly more. We live in in eternity. We live um, in infinity. I have given you so much. You don't need to worry about how much you get. You can give without expectation in return. Listen. I think it's so remarkable because um, Christians pioneered, because of the teachings of Jesus, this economic system, it was a bunch of Christian priests, actually, they pioneered this economic system that would one day be called capitalism. And capitalism wasn't focused on equity or equality. Capitalism was focused on just creating win-wins. So all we want to do is bless all people. We just want to live a life that is going to bless as many people as possible. And this system did more to eliminate human poverty than any other system in human history. In fact, we are one generation away from eliminating global poverty. And that is truly remarkable. And that's specifically because of the teachings of Jesus embracing a system that says, we don't care about fairness. God is not fair. Grace isn't fair. He's full of love and grace and compassion and second chances. And that's what we want to give to the world. And that's what that system did. As Christians, we believe that women winning does not mean that men have to lose. This is why as a church, we say no one's perfect and everybody's welcome. It's not about what we're against. It's about who we're for. We are for people. We're for God in people's lives. Men and women can both be winners. We're different and we're wonderful and we're unique. And we worship God by bringing our very best. Men hearing my voice at Hebron at the jail and here, I know a lot of you are discouraged. I've never seen such an epidemic of discouragement among men. I meet with so many young men in particular who have nothing to live for other than to make money because your life says your career and your money making is all that matters. It's the only thing you can do is provide. I know so many young men and even older men who have shut themselves out of their family because they believe that the only thing they're worth is the money they make and they become the truth and the lie. Just live for yourself, shut down emotionally, just don't be present. Sow your wild oats, throw away your life. Society says fathers don't matter. Women and children don't need you. You are not important. You're kind of a villain. And what is the result? A bunch of boys who live like it, who feel like they're not wanted, so they make worthless choices because you've come to believe the lie that society tells us, which is that your life is worthless. But God says you matter so much. I want you to know that. I want you to know that you're more than a job. I want you to know that God looked at the proto-man. He looked at Abraham and he said, I'm not selecting you because of your job. I'm not selecting you because you make money. I'm choosing you because you will be a father to the next generation. And that of all the traits that you have is the most important thing. Men, don't waste your life. You're the man. And your family and your children and the people you are a role model to in society, they need you. It turns out that fathers in homes is the number one predicting factor for so many different good things. Candace Owens, famous activist, talks about the number one issue facing black America today is fatherless homes and black communities. We need our fathers. You are needed. And if you grew up fatherless, you can break the cycle. God knew this when he called Abraham. He said, I have singled him out so that he will direct his sons and their families to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. God chose him because he was a father and a man, because God knew Abraham would show a new generation the ways of the Lord. Your family needs you. Man, you are so important. 
And God gives you a really simple job. The great commission of men, what you're supposed to do as a man is so simple. Show the next generation the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. There is nothing more important than you can do than show your kids who Jesus is. It's a big task. The next generation is watching you. So show them how to love the Lord. You're the man. Now, um, I know some of you might be discouraged because you haven't done a good job at this. And you look at your life and it's like, man, I... Didn't, didn't do so great. I've wasted a lot of years. And here's what I love, okay? God looks at Abraham and he's like, I'm choosing you because you're gonna be a great father. And then we have stories specifically in the Bible of Abraham being a spectacularly not great father and God giving him second chances and God redeeming him. I wanna actually focus in on one of those stories because I want you to know, even if you've messed up, God can use you still and it's not too late because if you're not dead, then God's not done. I love Genesis 20, verse two. It says, Abraham introduced his wife, Sarah, by saying, she is my sister. And that's kind of odd. Why would you introduce your wife as your sister? Well, it says, King Abimelech of Gerar sent for Sarah and he had her brought to him at his palace. So what he's doing, um, Abraham has a beautiful wife, kind of like me, right? And he's afraid. Like people make comments about Kristen all the time. I get afraid. I'm like, please don't hurt me. Let's run. But um, anyway, so, so this guy comes up to him and, and he's afraid that Abraham, Abraham replied, uh, you know, this is a godless place. They'll want my wife and they'll kill me to get to her. So he lies, says, she's my sister. Right, and obviously this is a terrible thing and God ultimately protects Sarah, but I get why he did it. The society he lived in was scary like society today. People did not like God in that society. It's a godless society and he was a God follower, a fundamentalist. You know, he was ridiculed for the morals that he followed, the backward way. I mean, you believe in the institution of marriage? You believe in binary gender? I mean, what's wrong with you? Instead of valuing women like God calls him and us to do, he just conformed to what society said which is that men and women and people and marriage doesn't really matter. And you know what he did was he caved. And obviously his family, Sarah specifically, was victimized by that. But you know who else was really hurt by that? And the Bible doesn't mention it here, but you'll see later, is his son Isaac. See, Isaac as a young boy was most certainly watching his father make this mistake. He watched his dad and Abraham thought about his situation, but he didn't really think about his son. He didn't realize that his son would care or see. He just didn't think about it. And Isaac ends up growing up, and seven chapters later, about 20 years later, Isaac ends up making the exact same mistake in the exact same land with a king by the exact same name. Because Isaac grew up remembering what his dad did. And it says in Genesis 26, verse 7, when the men who lived there asked Isaac about his wife, Rebekah, he said, she is my sister. Sound familiar? He was afraid to say, she is my wife. He thought they will kill me to get to her because she is so beautiful. But sometime later, Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, confronts him and is like, hey, dude, like, remember when your dad did this exact same thing and what are you doing? And Isaac was not taught by his father that he's the man. He watched his dad listen to what society said about him and people who follow God. You don't matter. Marriage doesn't matter. God doesn't matter. Morals don't matter. He watched his dad live in fear. And instead of building a house after God's own heart, the sin of his father became his own sin, as it so often does in our life. And dads, I want you to hear this, and this is such an important thing that you need to get. Our children are watching us. When we're emotionally vacant, when we lose our temper, when we shut down, our children are watching us. And we live in a world that is just like the one that Abraham and Isaac lived in. For the last several years, I have watched our society tell men that they are worthless. I have watched a society that discriminates against men, ignore our sons as they literally die. I've watched an anti-science, anti-God, anti-facts movement try to destroy the wonderful life that God has for us. And the other night, 
I had some, you know, friends from the government over to my house for dinner, okay? I referenced this story before, but they were there. They were from the CDC. Long story how they got there. But um, we're sitting there, and this lady sitting next to me, you know, goes on this whole thing, this whole spiel about not liking America very much. She said a lot of things, but one of the things she said is um, that white men are privileged and they're evil and they're all this terrible stuff. And you know what? I get that I'm not white, but I looked at my son who definitely is. And that woman, to my shame, said all that stuff and I was just silent because I didn't want to have a fight. And I remember the story of Abraham and Isaac and I remember that my son was watching me be silent and, and then I remembered to tell myself in that moment, you're the man because your son is watching you. I just reminded myself, I have a great role to play and the temptation is to just make money and shut up, to make money and shut down, to say it's just not worth fight, it's just not worth leading, it's just not worth whatever, it's easier. I mean, you know, you turn on the Super Bowl and it's a Gillette commercial, boys will be boys and all this stuff and time's up and you're terrible and you're the worst, whatever. And the temptation to say, well, that's out there, but in my house, it's fine. The temptation is to say, just because, you know, Instagram and Snapchat and TikTok and Twitch and every single other channel that infiltrates my children's mind tells them that white men are terrible doesn't mean that they'll believe it, you know, because I don't say anything about it, but maybe they'll see me not act that way. But men, you are made by God to do great things and you're more than money. You are made to be a father and your sons and daughters are watching you. You are not made to ignore problems and be silent when society tells our children lies. I believe that Genesis 18 verse 19 was written by God to Abraham and from Abraham to all the men of the earth. And he says, I have singled you out. Father's Day is not a nothing holiday. This is a day to remind you men that you are singled out by God so that you will direct your sons and your daughters and their families to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. Our children are watching us and they're waiting for you to show them what it means to be godly men and women, what it means to lead a family, what it means to be resilient, what it means to move forward from failure, what it means to admit that you're wrong and to embrace that failure and then to fail forward from it, to move forward in a tough situation, what it means to provide for our children, what it means to pull yourself up out of an addiction, what it means to admit that you've allowed something to overcome you in your life and to say, I'm not gonna be that man anymore. Watch me overcome it. What it means to pursue our wives and to protect our families from a godless anti-science, anti-facts agenda that intends to steal, kill, and destroy what God has for us. I will not be silent. I think back to that night and I will no longer be silent because a woman looks at my son and says that because he doesn't have dark skin like his dad, he needs to be silent and can't do great things. He will not be judged by the color of his skin or by his Y chromosome, that's racism. He will be judged by the grace of Jesus and by the content of his character. That's what Christians do. And here's my big point today. Men, our children are watching us and they need us to show them the way of the Lord. We cannot be silent and put our heads down and just ignore the problem. They are dying and wasting their lives. And the world is telling them lies. And fathers, you are uniquely situated to call out healing and potential in your kids. That's the mantle that God gave to you. You are the man. It's your job to teach them how to move forward from failure. It's your job to encourage them and to walk with them through difficult times. God tells us that we have a huge role to play. And science tells God that he's right, which it always does. The biggest determiner of a child's success on so many different levels as a father, showing children the way of the Lord. I have singled you out, fathers, so that you will direct your sons and daughters and their families to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and what is just. I heard a song the other day um, that I knew that is a really good song. It's by Rodney Atkins, and it pretty much summarized my whole sermon. And uh, I am gonna read it to you. I'm not gonna sing it to you because that would ruin my whole sermon, but I'm just, 
I'm just going to read it to you, and I may get emotional, but uh, I think this song pretty much sums up everything I'm trying to say. It says, driving through town, just my boy and me, with a happy meal in his booster seat, knowing that he couldn't have the toy till his nuggets were gone. McDonald's, we don't need that many chicken nuggets. We got issues already, okay? This is why children are obese. It's like four would be fine. But um, green traffic light turned straight to red. I hit my brakes and mumbled under my breath. His fries went flying and his orange drink covered his lap. Well, then my four-year-old said a four-letter word that started with S and I was concerned. So I said, son, now where'd you learn to talk like that? He said, I've been watching you, dad. Ain't that cool? I'm your buckaroo and I want to be like you and eat all my food and grow as tall as you are. We got cowboy boots and camel pants. Yeah, we're just alike. Hey, ain't we, dad? I want to do everything you do, so I've been watching you. We got back home and I went to the barn and I bowed my head and I prayed real hard. And I said, Lord, please help me help my stupid self. Then this side of bedtime later that night, turning on my son's Scooby-Doo nightlight, he crawled out of bed and he got down on his knees and he closed his little eyes and he folded his little hands and he spoke to God like he was talking to a friend. And I said, son, now where'd you learn to pray like that? And he said, I've been watching you, dad. Ain't that cool? I'm your buckaroo and I want to be like you and eat all my food and grow as tall as you are. We like fixing things and holding mama's hand. Yeah, we're just alike, ain't we, dad? I want to do everything you do. So I've been watching you. With tears in my eyes, I wrapped him in a hug. I said, my little bear is growing up. And he said, but when I do, I'll still know what to do. Because I've been watching you, dad. Ain't that cool? I'm your buckaroo, and I want to be like you. Man, you really matter. You're the man. You're the man. And that's not just a nothing statement. That means something. God made you for a great role and it's your job to lead your family on a great adventure. And I want you to know that you have what it takes that God, before they were born, planned for you to have them. It wasn't a mistake that you're a father. Don't embrace a victim mentality. Instead, go home and lead your families because you're the man. You have a huge role to play and God says it and that makes it truth. But what I love is the data obviously backs it up. Our sons and daughters are watching us. And I just want you to rise above the noise and the discrimination and I want you to choose to show your family what it means to walk in the ways of the Lord. Men, um, that means everybody who has a Y chromosome who's over the age of 12, if you'd please stand to your feet for a moment. If you would, please rise. Um, there's this thing in the Bible called the Great Commission. And, you know, it's go and make disciples of all the nations of the earth, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And that's a great commission for all Christians. It's like the, the big, like, hey, go do this. This is what you're supposed to do as a Christian. But also in the Bible, there's this great commission to men that I've been reading to you all day. And I want to speak it to you because it is God speaking through Abraham to us, giving us a mission in life. God says, I've singled you out so that you will direct your sons and daughters and their families to keep the way of the Lord. That's the win. By doing what is right, by doing what is just, that's your mission. Show your children who Jesus is. And man, this is a big challenge, I get it. And I wanna call you to it because you're the man. And I've been thinking, I mean, this is, 
This is what I would do if I wasn't a pastor. I mean, this is just, this is everybody's mission. Everybody who is a man in life, even if you don't have kids, this is your job. And I kind of try to synthesize, what does this mean? What does this mean for me, not as a pastor, but as a father, as a man, as a husband, and as a leader? And I wrote down a couple things, and you might find this helpful, but um, this is what this Great Commission looks like. Number one, get your family to church. And I think this is so, so simple. All the data is behind this, but for me as a leader, it is my job to ensure that my family goes to church. No excuses, no whatever, no, it's a late night. No, we're not doing that sport. No, we're not doing this. We are, as for me and my house, serving the Lord, going to church all of the time, 100%, no questions about it. I don't care if you're up, we're going. Number two, teach your children the truth about gender and God's plan. You look at your sons and you say, hey, this is what God made you to do. He made you to lead your families on a great adventure. He made you to be courageous, to teach your children to recover from failure. He made you to love and pursue your wife. Look at your daughters and teach them about what it means to be a lady who sustains the men. Teach them what it means to honor Jesus. Teach your boys what it means to lay down their life for their wives. Another one is read your Bible. And listen, I was convicted by this because I read my Bible in the morning and the evening before my kids are up or after they're in bed. And I realized I want my sons and my daughters to see me reading my Bible. I have to make some changes because I want to show them how to walk in the way of the Lord. The most embarrassing moment of my life was a karaoke experience, which I will never actually give in detail at this church because nothing can portray how humiliating that experience really was. That's what praying sometimes feels like to me in front of my family. I'm just gonna be honest. It feels super awkward. I don't really like doing it, but you know what? I want my kids to know the ways of the Lord and I want them to see their father doing it. So I'm just gonna do it. And I'm gonna push through that awkwardness because I want my family to know what it means to walk in the ways of the Lord. Let your kids see you be a spiritual leader. That's your job, man. And you have what it takes. Stay standing for a minute. Moms and kids, I want you to hear this. Um, encourage the men in your life. Honestly think, what percent of your words to the men in your life are negative? It's worth thinking about. If you treated yourself the way that you treat him, would you be encouraged? Would you wanna come home to you? Important questions. Do you treat your children better than you treat their dad? Important question. I tell um, people who got a man in their life, what's praised is repeated when it comes to men. We just, our gas is encouragement. That's what we run on. But man, you have what it takes. You're gonna do great things. The healing of our nation begins with you. And I know that God entrusted you with a great responsibility with the people in your life. But you're the man and you can do it. I wanna pray for you guys as we close. And if you got um, a man you came with, um, you're welcome to put a hand on them appropriately. No pinching, no joking, no whatever. I gotta say that. If you don't know him, you know, no hands on. It's, it's 2021, I gotta say it. But um, let's pray for our men. God in heaven, I thank you for the men in our life. I thank you for the unique identity that you gave to us. God, would you give us the vision and the courage to walk into it with great discipline? God, in, in the name of Jesus, we reject the lies that society tells us about men. We believe that you gave us men to serve a great purpose. We honor them, we follow them, we submit to them, and we choose to believe that you can use them to do great things. God, I ask that you do a great healing in the hearts of men who have deep father wounds. You are a good, good father, and I just ask that you would show that to people who are hurting and have a void in their heart where their father should have been. I ask that you would break the cycle of fatherness through the men hearing my voice. At Hebron, at the jail, and at this location, God, would you raise up a new generation of fathers who show their children what gritty determination, what recovery from failure looks like, and most of all, who show their children the ways of the Lord. 
I ask all these things in the name of Jesus. All God's people said amen and amen. Let's all stand to our feet and sing this great song together.